Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Our scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Amen. Good morning, everybody. There you go. Somebody's awake. Go ahead and hit the person next to you so that they can wake up. You know, we preachers, we want to be heard. You know, half of what you got to do is lower these things so I can see you. I mean, maybe you don't want to be seen. This week, coming up week, Michael's, Pastor Michael's already there. There's a group of about 15 pastors that uh, meet every so often. And this year, one of the guys that is in our group um, is from Scotland. So we're actually going to meet in Scotland. And so this evening I'll be crossing the pond, but Michael's already there. And one of the things that we've all recognized as pastors in churches is that whatever the trend was before the pandemic, all the pandemic really did was accelerate it. That is, we were already seeing younger people uh, de-church, deconstruct their faith and then leave uh, uh, the church. And during the pandemic, because for most churches in America, they didn't meet except via um, um, the live stream, people just didn't come back. And we've seen that across our country. And, and so that's just one of the trends. Another trend that we even noticed when you took our survey is that there's a thinning of community both inside and outside the church. That is, even people who have no understanding of the church are not being part of community outside. And then those inside the church are also losing community. And we've kind of seen that in the survey that many of you uh, uh, took that we do annually uh, told us the same thing. And, and two of the statistics really stood out to us. And one was that about half of you uh, who filled out the survey have attended LSQ uh, two years or less. Now that obviously means LSQ is only five years old. So don't, don't think that's too much. But it does mean that we are seeing that trend that not only have people left, but there are others who are coming in, but they won't have the same level of connection uh, to the life of the church. The second one was that about three quarters, almost three quarters of the people in this, that filled out the survey have five friends or fewer at LSQ. 
See, that's the, that little thinning of community, which has led us to this series on uh, relearning communal habits. That is, if you don't do something for a long period of time, so restarting it means you have to almost relearn those habits over again. And that's really where our church is. If you're visiting us, uh, your home church may be going through the very same things that we are. And that is new people have come in and, and the people that have been here for a long time, even their sense of community has thinned out. And the habit of being together and what that means and how to be together has been lost. And so we want to reclaim that. And so we've been looking at these habits and I want to give you two more this morning. And one of them is welcoming and the other one is acceptance. Which brings us to our text this morning. It's not particularly long, but it is profound. Um, Verse 5 says, and having uh, same attitude of mind. That's a, a new translation. So if you go to some of the older translations of that, it's really just a, a, a couple of words. If you look at some of the older translations, it will use a word that we typically don't hear much anymore. And it's the word harmony. We tend to only have the context of harmony in the musical world. That is, we're very familiar when voices or instruments are harmonized together, playing the same tune. They might have different parts within the piece of music, but they're playing together and we call that harmony. We know what the opposite of that is as well. When someone sings off key or the instruments are not playing the same sheet music, we call that a dissonance. And so in the church... You also have harmony and dissonance. You also have the ability of being together, even though we're very different from one another, even though we have different gifts, talents, abilities, different perspectives on things. But a church that has harmony recognizes that and celebrates that reality, but still is working toward the same purpose. You see, that's our sheet music. It's not necessarily that we all agree on every point of what it means to be church or even everybody's emphasis of a particular uh, theology or practice, but simply that we all agree that we're going the same place together. And so we like to have everyone harmonizing their gifts, talents, and abilities, their perspectives. In fact, it's not a weakness to have differing perspectives. We think that's a strength. And we think that's a particular strength of LSQ, to have uh, 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 people that are politically from different backgrounds and different philosophies, people who uh, are from the city and people who are not from the city, all together harmonizing because we're all moving in the same direction. And so, having said that this text discusses harmony, it's not about harmony. That is, harmony is not an end of itself. It has a place to go. That is, if all we are is a group of people that know how to get along with one another, though that is wonderful because we hardly see that in our culture, there's more to it than that. We're going somewhere together as we harmonize. 
And so uh, our text uh, sits at a very long section in Romans. Romans is one of the longest letters that Paul wrote. And he wrote a section that really begins around uh, chapter 10 and goes all the way to this section, this is the end of that section, about division in a particular local church. And when you begin to think about it, we are five times larger than the church of Rome. When Paul wrote to Rome, a place he had never been, he knew a few people that were there. There were three house churches, that is they broke the congregation up into three locations because there was no place that they were allowed to meet that housed them all. So they met in homes, three different places, with a total congregation of about a hundred. And yet, within that hundred people, there was enough differences there was enough division that Paul spends several chapters talking about their division. And what makes their division so, so acute is that it was also racial. That is, they were divided over what is kosher to eat. That is, most of these people became followers of Jesus. They became Christians out of an idolatry that sacrificed different animals to appease the gods. Well, the only place you could get meat in town was the temple that sacrificed these meat, pieces of meat. And so the question was, can you eat it? That's why he's got so much uh, ink that he spills on conscience and uh, freedom. And here he begins to talk about as a body, not as individuals, how to deal with harmony, how to have unity in the church. And so what makes it exasperated is that their differences over what you could and you could not eat fell along racial lines. That is, in this church of about 100 people, there were Jewish Christians and there were Gentile Christians. And when you say, we don't think of them as racially, but in that day they did. In fact, you could not find a greater racial division in the ancient world than between Jews and Gentiles. And the word Gentile just simply means everybody else. So you had Jews, and by definition, everybody who's not a Jew, they are the dirty scum of the world from the Jewish perspective. And yet, they were in the same church together. And they were having a debate about what you could and could not eat once you became a Christian. And so that's there. And so Paul gives them a vision for the church of beautiful harmony. And so this morning, I want to ask and answer three questions of the text. It's a good thing. There's only three verses. So each verse answers a different question. And the first question that we will look at is what is the source of this kind of harmony? Then secondly, uh, what is the purpose of this kind of harmony? And then last, uh, what's the proof of the harmony? So the first question is, what is the source of this harmony? Look at verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. I want you to see two things about this short sentence. And that is, first, it's a prayer. See how it starts? May the God. It's a request. God, would you do something for us. Which brings me to the second point that I want you to see about this verse is that you and I are not the answer to that prayer. Our best efforts to create harmony will not create this kind of harmony. 
That doesn't mean that we can't create a counterfeit harmony. That doesn't mean that we can't create harmony. It just means this kind of harmony that Paul is talking about in this chapter, you and I can't do anything to create it. That is, the source of it has to be given to us by someone on the outside. Now, that doesn't mean we can't create that synthetic or that um, uh, counterfeit harmony. That is, you and I could demand a uniformity. And you see that. Uh, you, you see that in, often in the military setting. Sometimes you see that in a collegiate setting. Sometimes you see that in people's homes that they want uniformity. But the problem is uniformity is a form of a grotesque picture of unity. That is, if I force you into a conformity, then you are only doing it because you're being forced into it. And that's something that we can do. In fact, uh, you can check out on uh, Netflix, 1975, Stepford Wives, and that's all about harmony this counterfeit version where everything looks the same, everybody dresses the same, all the houses are the same, everything's the same because it's a forced conformity, uniformity. So having said that, it is a gift. God gives. You see that? May the God, what? What's the next two words? Who gives. It is God who gives harmony. Having said that, that does not mean you and I don't have a part in harmony. Just because God is the giver of harmony, he allows us to participate with him in cultivating harmony. What does that mean? One way that you and I get to cultivate harmony is praying for it. We ask God at the core of who we are that God would give us a place where we are one where there's a unity, not uniformity, that would be a grotesque picture, but harmony. And when we lose it, because you do lose it, often God gives gifts that we lose because of some division, some difference of perspective that we can't come uh, to an agreement and some kind of understanding. It ends up dividing the community, the church, and so we have to ask God to restore harmony. So prayer is an essential part of the church, but it is also an essential part for us getting harmony because we ask the God who gives harmony to give us harmony. So that's one of the things we can do. Now, you can cultivate harmony by doing a couple of things. One way to insist, everyone be like me. Because truly, if everyone was like me, then we would have uniformity. We would have harmony. Because basically, I would agree with you. Because you agree with me. The other opportunity is that we all pick someone else in the room and we all conform to that person. And you might think, as long as it's me you're picking, I'm good with it. The third one is that we say, we're not going to be like anyone in particular. Not the pastor, not the people in the congregation. We're going to compromise and, and be neither, but be something else. The fourth opportunity, and this is what Paul gets at in this verse. He says that, May God give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had. Do you hear what he's saying? The fourth way is for us to be like Christ. 
That is, you're not going to be like me. I'm not going to be like you. We're not going to create a compromise between us. But we're all going to work toward... Have you ever seen this beautiful illustration? And I, and I often share this with uh, people who want to get married. And they say, you know, we, we really want... We're coming from very different backgrounds and we want to uh, come together on so many issues that we differ about. And so my advice to them is not focus this way toward each other, but focus toward Christ. And if it's like a triangle, the more both of you seek to be like Christ and have the mind of Christ, actually the closer you will become. Don't you see? If you focus on each other, you end up focusing on your differences. But if you focus on Christ, you give up your difference because you're being different in Christ. It's a very different uh, perspective for us. The early Christians were not called Christians when it first started. In fact, it's a few years before people started calling the followers of Jesus Christians. They were first called the people of the way because something Jesus said. Jesus said, I didn't come to give you a way. Every religious leader, every philosopher, every thinker in the world has offered the world a way. Something to follow, something to do, something to be. But Christianity comes along and Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm not giving you a way. I am the way. Do you hear what he's saying? I, I invite you into a relationship with me where I'm the focus, not you. You ever, you ever notice that you have to sometimes remind children that they're not what it's all about, that it's not about them. And you know what happens when somebody never tells a child if you're, it's not about you? If they grow up with the perspective that it is about them, you know what happens? They become adults who think it's all about them. That's what happens. And so Christianity comes along and says, okay, if you want to be a follower of mine, that means that you have my mind. You seek the same things I seek. That is, you know uh, what's important to me, and that's what becomes important to you. And what's not important to me is not important to you. You ever read the Bible that way? You ever sit down to read the Scriptures and you ask just two questions of the text? What's important to Jesus and what is not important to Jesus? And how do I apply that? Simple couple of questions. You're in there and you're noticing that Jesus uh, has this conversation with this woman who's been caught in an adultery and there's people who want to throw stones at her and we, we wonder where the person she was having an adulterous relationship is and he's being ignored. And so what's important to Jesus in that story? He turns to her and says, you are forgiven, go and sin no more. He did not say, Go and sin no more, and when you haven't sinned for a period of time, then I will forgive you. So what's important to Jesus? What is our greatest need? To know that we are loved and accepted and forgiven, adopted into the family of God, and that's the first thing he says. The, the prodigal son, when he comes back to, to his father, he's been rehearsing his repentance speech the whole way. His father doesn't allow him time to get that message out. His father hops off the porch, runs to him, hugs him, 
kisses him and said, my son who was dead is alive. My son who was blind sees. So what's important that Jesus is communicating? That people are more important than them knowing that I was right all along. Because both the Father and Jesus could have said, what? I told you so. I told you if I gave you all this money and you ran off, you were just going to waste it all, and you were going to come back to me begging for some food. And Jesus could have done that, but what's important to Jesus? You. You are important to Jesus. Because he left his throne to come down here, and we think it's all beautiful to be human, because we are human. But God left his throne to come down here to be cared for a a poor carpenter's wife, raised in a poverty, living on earth where people, his own people reject him, and then he goes to the cross and says, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. What's important to Jesus? You. Why do we make other things more important than us? people. It's because we don't ask that question. What's important to Jesus and what's not important to Jesus? Those are two questions that we need to ask. Insisting on being right all the time, if that describes you, it always comes at an expense, a cost, and always comes at the expense of a welcoming culture, and it makes our acceptance always conditional. I will love you, I will care for you, I will know you when you meet my standard. Imagine if that had happened. None of us here would know Jesus. Which brings me to my second point, is what is the purpose of harmony? All this beautiful talk about harmonizing, it has an end beyond itself. That is, it's not an end. Verse 6, so that, that's what that, so that is. I talked about harmony, having the mind of Christ, so that with one mind and voice, you may glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, harmony has no end in itself. It has a purpose, and that is that through it, we may glorify God. The problem is you and I don't tend to use the word glory. Glory in the Old Testament and in the New Testament simply means something of weight, something that matters, something that is heavy, something that is important. And so when you glorify something, you're telling everyone how great something is, how heavy it is, how important it is. And so when we harmonize, even in the midst of our differences with one another, Even among our different gifts and talents and abilities, even in the midst of our perspectives, we harmony. It tells the world that God has changed us individually and as a community. We are different because we love God and more importantly, God loves us. That is, to make much of something is to glorify it. To glorify God is to say that he is the most important being in the cosmos and in your life. Therefore, how we live together in community demonstrates that God is the most important being in our life and in our church to the world. That he makes a difference. It's one thing to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and it makes absolutely no difference on how you love and care and know others. In fact, I think it indicts us 
to say we're followers of Jesus and we treat everyone else in the world just like everyone else in the world treats one another. The way we treat one another, particularly those on the outside, the way we treat people who are outside the church, if we do that like everyone else does, then we are saying that God doesn't matter. That God is unimportant. That God makes no difference. But when we say there's a difference in the way that we treat one another, particularly with people's failures and struggles, when we come alongside each other and care for each other and live differently, we tell the world that God has made a difference because he's the most important. He's demanded a different way to associate. Because God is the greatest being, he changes everything about the way we do life together. This is the point that Paul makes in chapter 12 of Romans, where the very beginning verse, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular, holy, pleasing God. This is your true and proper worship. What's he saying? He says, our life together is a form of worship. Not just what's happening here. This is important what we do here. Very important. But it's not all Paul means by worship. All of life is an act of worship. When you go to work, when you do your work diligently, when you uh, serve people, when you're in your neighborhood and you make a difference in your neighborhood, when you serve, when you do those things, those are acts of worship again. But listen to what Paul is saying here. Your individual acts are not what he's talking about. He said, together, plural, we singularly worship. We make much of God. That is, our testimony, your testimony as an individual is important. Don't hear me wrong. It's just not as powerful. It's not as acute. It's not as spellbounding and profound as when all of us together, when we're all in, living differently together. That is our holy and pleasing act of worship to God. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. And so what's the proof? Bruce, that's great. God is the giver. We'll pray for that. We cultivated. I got that. It's supposed to glorify God. But how do we know we're on the right road? Verse 7. This is why it's so hard. Accept one another. If we just stopped right there, accept one another. Just as Christ 
accepted you. You see, I'm good with accepting one another because I have all kinds of levels of acceptance. You do too. Don't laugh. You do too. Everybody has levels of acceptance. You have one level of people you work with. You have one level of the people that you live with. You have another level of people you go to church with. People who have hurt you. You have many levels of relationships. I get it. But then Paul added this terrible phrase for those of us who were feeling pretty good about our Christianity. Just as Christ accepted you. Mm. All right, there are two things that work against having harmony. Two kinds of thinking. One thought goes like this. If you knew me, you would not accept me. If you knew my life, if you knew the things that I went in, the things I think about, the things that I do when nobody else is around, you would not accept me. One time Kathy's out of town, so I was looking for a movie to watch, and, and uh, it was on uh, Amazon Prime. It's called uh, On Bathroom Walls, Words on Bathroom Walls. It's a great title because the words on the walls uh, tell a story, and it reveals our secrets. Anyway, this story is about a, a young high school student who's a senior year changes school because he's been keeping a secret that came out and he got rejected for it. He had schizophrenia and he didn't want anybody to know that he heard voices and that it changes his perspective on reality. And so he hides it. He goes to this new school and he doesn't want to tell anybody. He builds all these relationships with nobody knowing that he has schizophrenia except when he goes in the bathroom. It's kind of a cool story. But he slowly, slowly starts telling people about his secret. You see, letting someone close enough to you to know your secrets, it's scary. Because what if they don't accept you? What if you let somebody into the dark and twisted places of your heart and they don't accept you? Here's the problem. The only way for people to know you and love you and care for you is that you have to let somebody and preferably somebody's in to see the dark and scary parts of your heart. Because only then can you have true community. Only then can you have harmony. Only then can we be a reflection of the glory of God to a world because there's absolutely nowhere else in the world you can go to get that. Only the church, and we don't do it very well. If, if it's the only way to have community, genuine community, deep community where you're known and loved and cared for is for you to open up about your dark and scary spot places of your heart, who's going to do that first? One of the greatest dangers to genuine community is that if we let our fear keep us from letting someone in, then all we are going to be is a collection of strangers and acquaintances on Sunday morning. Tell you a little bit about myself. I got a minute or two. Where are you going? I grew up in a home that uh, uh, wasn't the best. Uh, we were constantly uh, belittled, uh, fought 
not great of myself, became an overachiever. It's what happens when you tell some, some people they're not very good. Um, but I also don't believe it. That's the other half. And so compliments don't come easy for me. I love them. Don't get me wrong. So don't feel like you can't share any. <laughs> but I don't take them well. I deflect because I don't believe that's about myself. And so I was talking to this counselor one time and I said, the hardest part of being a pastor is not preaching. It's standing in the back, greeting people as they leave. I had this terrible habit for about 27 years of greeting everybody as they left the buildings. Very Southern thing to do for pastors. But it was the hardest thing in the world because everybody wants to say they love the sermon. Even the people who didn't want something to say. So you get all these great compliments. And so I am cringing like a turtle into my shell because I can't take a compliment. And so this counselor said, why in the world would you go into a profession where you're constantly getting compliments? I said, well, that's the nature of a call. You don't get to determine how it goes. If we don't let people know these kinds of things about us, and I'm not saying we all need to get on a couch and have a counselor tell us we're okay. We just need someone else to remind us you're okay because Jesus made you okay. See, one of the things that people that you let into your heart can do for you that you can't do yourself, and this was showed up in that movie that I thought was so good, he said, I need somebody to know about my schizophrenia because I can't see reality. And so I need people, when I see things that aren't there, to tell me they're not there and to tell me what is really there. That's what people can do for you in genuine community. Somebody who knows your dark and secret places can tell you what's real and what is not real until you can see it yourself. The second crazy thinking that really hurts community is, if I accept you, then I'm condoning your behavior. Somehow we have convinced one another, particularly in the evangelical church, that, that accepting someone is equal to condoning everything about that person. It's not true, but it is what we have concluded. So if you struggle with a particular struggle that the church finds offensive, then you need to be ostracized until you conform your behavior to our practice, and then you're in. But until then, you're out. I met a guy um, a few years ago who wrote a book that I really liked called Love is an Orientation. His name is Andrew Marion. I had lunch with him and uh, he told me a story. A story is like this. He goes to a very conservative evangelical college at a high school and while he's there, other friends from his small town in uh, uh, South Carolina begin to tell him that they were gay the whole time that they were in school. And they didn't feel like they could in his small town. And so they've been coming out to him while he's at this incredibly conservative evangelical seminary, I mean, uh, college. And so when he graduates, he moves to Boys Town in Chicago. You know that place. And it's a, a community for the LBGT community of Chicago. And he wants to do a couple of things. He wants to 
a study and provide a survey, a scientific sociological survey about of people who are in the LBGD community and their relationship with the church. He founded an organization that builds bridges between the church and the LBGD community. And so one of the things that in his research that he was able to do, he, he found that, um, I lost where my, his quote was, there it is. 86% of those that he interviewed in the LGBT community of Boys Town in Chicago uh, whether it's a person who marches in the pride parade or, or they're a closet uh, teen, they spent their childhood in the church. Don't let that go. 86% of the people that he interviewed grew up in the church that are in that community. And then he said that the majority left their religious community, the church, when they became adults because they, what? They felt unwelcome. Not that they didn't know what Christians believe, what the Bible teaches. They grew up in the church. They know what the scriptures teach. Their problem wasn't what we professed. Their problem was how we acted. You see the difference? We became unwelcoming. And so they left. One of the other statistics that he found is that three-fourths of the people in the LBGDQ community of Chicago that he interviewed, three-fourths of them would re are happy to return to the church. They would be happy to return. But they know they're not welcome. Have you ever thought about who is attracted to Jesus and how that's different than who's attracted to the church? Religious people were not attracted to Jesus. In fact, they were the ones who wanted him crucified. They wanted him dealt with. It was the sinners. It was the people that were broken by their sin who came to Jesus and wanted to be accepted by him. We need and are in need of a, a paradigm shift in the church. You see, our paradigm is believe and behave before you can belong. And I'm not talking about membership just talking about people part of our community. We tend to say, believe this and then you're in. Behave this way, then you're in. What if we changed ours, and Michael's not here so he can't, he can't refute this. What if our paradigm was you can belong before you believe? We already say something like that in our values when we say we value people, people's questions, and the people themselves. It's one of our values. We want people to wrestle with their faith. We want people to wrestle with what Christianity is about. Try it on. See if you can understand it. We want to give people that space. But what if they could belong before they believe and they believe before they behave? What if that became our paradigm? What, who would be attracted to the church that is currently not attracted to the church? You see, we know that people change very slowly and never in a straight line, even though we want them to. We see somebody struggling with something and we say, well, here's how you change, and they don't do it, or they don't do it fast enough. We know the Bible teaches that people change slowly because it's a heart change, not just a behavior change. We also know that God does the changing. We don't do it, nor do the person we want. Yet we want to play the Holy Spirit in other people's lives and tell them this is what God wants you to do. 
It's frustrating. I understand. But that is also community, genuine community. For us to be frustrated and have to depend on the one who changes. And we do that by praying. We do that by relying upon our God. So what's the standard? Just as Christ accepted you. How did he accept us? A little earlier in Romans, it says, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. What helps us accept people where they are? You and I need to be amazed by our own salvation regularly. We need to sit and think about the magnitude that God went through to save me. Same magnitude it would take for God to save what we would consider the worst sinner on earth. Same price, his son. It's not like he used a little bit of Jesus for us and big Jesus for everybody else. It's big Jesus for everyone. There's no greater error in the human heart than to think that I am better than everyone else. That it didn't take a lot of Jesus to save me. LSQ can be a church community where we are marked by beautiful harmony, where people are truly known, loved, and cared for, where people are not afraid to let you in their dark and twisted places, where people change very slowly and hardly ever in a straight line. And that's okay. Where people belong before they have to believe and believe before they have to behave. The best way to let people know that this is a safe place, a place where real community happens, a place where God has changed everything, even the way we welcome and accept people, is for everyone enter into the community. We have no restriction for you to call LSQ your home. Here at LSQ, we do this primarily through our community groups. That is, it's impossible for you to let somebody in in this room. There's just too many of us here. But we have created a space. It's called community groups, fondly CGs, for you to find a smaller group of people, for you to have a few people in your life that know you, love you, and care for you. Those that were willing to say, that's not real. This is reality. You're not seeing it right now. And if you are in a community group right now, considering allowing a few people in that community group to know you, to know your heart, to know the dark and twisted parts so that they can show you what is real when you can't see it yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these three verses in this big book that give us a picture of a beautiful harmony where all of us are welcomed and accepted just as Christ accepted us. Now, obviously, you accepted us right where we are, but you did not leave us where we are. And that's true about friendship. We accept people where they are, but through prayer and whatever cultivating we can do to see people move to be like Jesus. And the more of us 
are like Jesus, the more we will have a beautiful community that reflects the glory of your Father. Help us do that as a church in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.